Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Bars. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK, with a range of expert guests. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, it's Alex. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast. In this edition, I'm speaking to Henry Greenwood, founder and managing director of the Green Schools Project, an organisation that supports schools to set up and run student-led environmental projects that help to make their communities more sustainable. An unexpected piece of good news to emerge from the coronavirus pandemic has been evidence that widespread lockdowns across the globe have benefited the environment. We've seen a dramatic reduction in carbon emissions as cities have come to a standstill and flights have been cancelled. Henry and I talk about the steps the schools could take once they adjust to reopening in order to help to maintain these positive developments and do their bit in fighting the climate crisis. Thanks for listening. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at cfey.org. My name is Henry Greenwood and I am the founder and managing director of Green Schools Project. I was a teacher for 12 years before I started Green Schools Project. I was a math teacher in a few secondary schools. The reason that I started Green Schools Project was my experience teaching in, in one of those schools where I looked around the school and saw how bad it was at dealing with anything to do with the environment and how low awareness was, how little people saw any environmental issues as kind of relating to their actual lives. So I formed a group of students, created an eco-team, and we ran a variety of projects on things like energy saving, encouraging walking and cycling to school, creating a vegetable garden, and just raised awareness about these issues in the school, was worked really well. So I thought, you know, this was an opportunity to encourage more schools to do that. So we started the project about five years ago. And yeah, we've been growing slowly and steadily since then, and working with different schools on, around those issues. Wonderful. That's really helpful. Thank you. And glad to hear that you've been growing over that time. That's really positive. From your perspective, is this a gap in our education system, in our curriculum? Yeah, is the short answer. <laughs> Definitely it is. It's actually, I mean, I got involved with doing this in my school just over 10 years ago, actually. And sadly, I feel like it was better then. It was higher up the agenda then. It's recovering a little bit now, but for a long time in the past 10 years, it was really sidelined. There was a kind of a, a, a narrowing focus on academic subjects, curriculum, the, the pressure of Ofsted where environmental education didn't really get a look in at all, and you know, the, the, the pressure of exam results. I think you know, through, through that system, environmental education has been squeezed, along with other things like you know, the, the arts and music. It's at a fairly low point at the moment. Over the past well, certainly in the last couple of years, there has been an increasing awareness of this gap. And so there has been building momentum for schools to do more. And it's very kind of sporadic. Some schools are doing this really well, but because it's not required, I'd say you know, most schools are starting from a fairly low base at the moment. Mm, that's interesting. Do you think it's the same across all phases? Do you have any sense of whether it's different for secondary than primary or perhaps FE colleges as well, whether there's any disparity? Yeah, so I, I think generally primary schools do it a bit better than secondary schools. I think they have just a bit more flexibility to do things slightly differently. They're smaller as well. As a secondary school teacher, I started Green Schools Project just working with secondary schools. But we adapted the programme and started working with primary schools and I quickly saw why most 
environmental education organisations just work with primary schools because they are just generally easier. I think it's really important that this is not just kind of ignored in secondary school. Let's say the children have gone to a primary school where they have had an eco team and they have worked on these environmental projects. If they then go to a secondary school where none of this is happening, as they become teenagers and interests change and there is none of this happening, then they will lose interest. And I think, sadly, that, that happens. So I think it's really important that it is a theme for the whole education system. Mm, I think it feels to me, I used to be an English teacher, and it feels to me like a topic that could be woven into the curriculum really effectively if teachers had the time and the, the headspace. And it's almost a struggle around maybe just having the time and the resources to, to do that. And I think that's a, a case for a lot of issues with education at the moment, isn't it? Just everything being quite high pressure. I can think of lots of ways that I would work it into a lesson, but then the closer you get to exams and things like that, the more the pressure is to just get your head down and focus on a single issue. And that I think is, is problematic. I mean, in terms of the young people themselves, are you seeing a particular appetite for this sort of education among them? Do you think it's something that young people care about particularly or are they sort of a bit apathetic? Yeah, I think it's, it's a whole range. I mean, I think there is definitely so much opportunity to enrich the curriculum and it doesn't have to be a case of kind of changing everything around, but just bringing ideas around nature, the natural world, climate, bringing them into lessons is a way of making it more relevant, more interesting for young people. I think one of the big problems with schools at the moment is that children and students see kind of school and real life in these two separate boxes and there's just not enough overlap between them. They're, they're learning about climate change, the climate crisis, well, you know, whatever you want to call it, they're kind of seeing it on TV, they're reading about it and they're thinking, well, we're not learning about this in school. Why are we not learning about this in school? This is a big deal. And so actually there's an opportunity for, for teachers to actually bring that into their lessons and talk about it more. And, and there is definitely an appetite from young people for that. We go into lots of schools and deliver assemblies and run workshops with students and, you know, none of them are saying, like, we don't care about this, we, you know, this, this is not important. There's a low base knowledge in some cases, sometimes, but once they learn about it, they're like, this is important, you know, we, we need to do something about it. But as I say, I think that needs to be brought into school life in order to give them a chance to recognise its importance and actually do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can see that. And do you find, do you have to do any thinking around the kind of emotional impact of it? Because I know certainly, I mean, if you watch Greta Thunberg, for example, talking, you can see the emotional investment in the issue for her. And I wonder whether there's any kind of thinking that needs to happen around talking about these issues with young people when they can be quite intense and challenging. Yeah, definitely. Like this idea of eco-anxiety and young people's mental health is a big issue at the moment, and quite rightly so. I think the danger with this is, and particularly for, for adults and teachers, is that that can be an excuse not to tackle these issues. And it's like, oh, you know, we don't want to scare them, we don't want to frighten them. But I think that comes from a place of not really being comfortable with the issues themselves and potentially feeling a bit of guilt that they're not doing what they should be doing in the first place. Being a bit anxious about the climate crisis is a perfectly rational and kind of reasonable response to what is a really kind of challenging situation. I feel anxiety because I understand what's going on. And actually, I attended an online training around this very issue just a couple of weeks ago. And the person presenting, Caroline Hickman, said, actually, we need to reframe this. And we say, you know, if young people express eco-anxiety or in whichever form to us, we should say, well done. That means you understand. We should celebrate eco-anxiety as a rational response to the situation. 
What I find when I go into schools is that young people suffer from it in some ways less than adults because they're quite quick to actually go on to like the action stage and like, right, what can we do? How can we get involved? And it's only really when they're given the facts and not given any opportunity to, to do anything about it, then that provokes the anxiety. Mm. Being able to work on a project in their school on some kind of sustainability issue, whether that's kind of food or travel or you know being part of an eco team and they can actually get involved in it. I don't see them being anxious. I see them being enthusiastic and positive and coming up with ideas and you know they play a part in actually changing things. Yes, in that way, it's a very empowering response, isn't it, to be able to say, well, actually, these are these are the feelings. They're all entirely valid. Here's something that we can practically do. It's actually a really positive solution to replacing some of that anxiety with a sense of action, as you say. It feels to me like it's an issue that could really tie in very well to other issues that actually we need to be talking about more in school and, and struggle to. So mental health is a great example. As you say there, maybe a, a topic that teachers know that they should be addressing but aren't really sure how to or don't feel entirely comfortable with and then therefore maybe kind of don't go there there's a kind of quite a lot of parallels there and I think maybe we could look at some of the strategies that have been used in getting schools and young people talking about some of these important issues like equality and diversity like mental health and think about the environment in the same way you know it's it's something that we don't have time carved out for in the same way as English math and science but it's essential, it's part of our everyday lives. It could maybe be some learnings there from some other strategies in, in those kind of areas. I think there's, yeah, there's all, all kinds of topics which, again, could fit into this idea of school not matching everyday life. You know, money, politics, you know, th these things have big impact on, on our life, but we don't really learn about them in school. You know, where does our food come from? Young people aren't given the opportunity particularly to explore that at school and find out about it. And, you know, if, if they actually learnt about that in school, then they would make much more important choices than we are as a, a general population at the moment. Mm, it's interesting isn't it because I think as you say that's the sort of the what is academic argument comes into play doesn't it because I know in FE colleges there's there's so much more of a focus on those kind of life skills and learning about the things that you need to do practically in life in some contexts at least it is odd to think that that is one, one kind of pathway of education and, and there's an option for another path where we don't discuss the things that will <laughs> affect your everyday life and that kind of practical information that you really need. And as you say, that there's a lot of interest from young people in, in learning about and understanding. Do you see any opportunities in the kind of drive for STEM subjects as well? I know that there's, there's a kind of a real emphasis at the moment on not enough young people, and particularly young women, getting into STEM. I feel like learning more about the environment and young people's interest in the environment could be a way into those subjects as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's an opportunity to get it into, into everything. I think there is an appetite for young people to go into careers that are beneficial for society or their, their future. So, you know, them is, a, is an example where, you know, we're going to need lots of people well trained in, in those areas in order to tackle these crises. But as I say, I think it's one of these issues that can be fed into all areas of the curriculum. You've talked a little bit about the kind of the projects and the action side of things. Can you give me some examples of the sort of things young people might get involved with, the sort of things that you work with as an organisation? Yeah, absolutely. When we started Green Schools Project, we started with a programme which essentially just helped schools in tackling this, supporting them to set up and run an eco-team, so getting a group of students to run some projects. They kind of normally do it as, a, as an after-school club or a lunchtime club, and we'd support them to run projects such as looking at the school's energy usage. 
I'm looking at ways to reduce that, whether that's kind of a switch off campaign or getting the caretaker involved in looking at their preferred settings and making sure windows are closed and that kind of thing. And it's the kind of thing that young people love doing that. A lot of it involves telling teachers what to do and telling them off and, and, and that kind of thing. But also they're learning about what has more effects and what has less effects. And so, you know, they're, they're actually seeing what they're doing. Every month we would get the bills and work out how much have we used compared to the previous year and then kind of announce that in the bulletin. And the students were pleased to see actually, you know, a financial and a practical reduction that they, they were carrying out. It's really important to kind of monitor that. If they don't actually record and track their usage, then it kind of just fizzles out because they're not sure whether it works or not. Other projects that we, we encourage schools to do are things like sustainable travel, so encouraging walking and cycling to school, reducing waste. The most common thing I hear which is, is, you know, my school's so bad it doesn't even do its recycling. And normally that was kind of the most popular project. It was the first project that we took on and it was just about telling the kids that they were responsible for going out and emptying their recycling bins rather than it being the caretaker's responsibility. They like doing that because it gives them an extra responsibility, makes them feel helpful. It is a good project, you know, a nice, quick, easy win, I would say. It's an important thing to do, but, yeah, if we're going to tackle the climate crisis, we need to do an awful lot more. We will definitely encourage schools to run eco-teams and get their students involved in, in projects, but we need to focus more about actually how do we get this into the curriculum now, which is why we're moving into doing teacher training sessions, encouraging outdoor learning as well, not even necessarily teaching about the environment or climate, but just in all their other subjects and activities that they're doing. So not just extracurricular clubs, but actually into the ethos of the school and in the curriculum as well. Yes, that's so important, isn't it? Once you know it's really embedded within the work that the school's doing as a whole, that's when it really sticks and I think becomes a way of living rather than, as you say, something to do if you have the time. That's really helpful. We've mentioned a little bit about Greta already, of course, how could we not? And the school strike movement. What kind of an impact do you think that's had overall for young people? It seems like quite a game changer to have someone like her as a role model, but she's also quite controversial. What's your impression? Yeah, the school strike movement undoubtedly had a big impact last year, you know, with the Extinction Rebellion as well, mm -hmm. shifted attitudes and opinions. There was a big change over the course of a year or so, starting with the IPCC report and just an increasing awareness of the urgency of action. And Greta, just, she just says it in such a kind of clear and concise way that it really cut through. And the fact that, you know, she is a young person, you know, she was 15 when it started, 16 for most of last year, I think. And having the voice of young people speaking truth to world leaders and not kind of caring about the consequences or, or, or what would come back on her through her actions, it has informed a lot of other young people who might not have heard about it otherwise. I guess for me, it was really heartening that having started Green School for a few years before, you know, I, I never really saw education front lines of the climate crisis but Greta really kind of put it there. Young people's voices it's, it's really hard to ignore them because they are the ones who are going to have to live with this through their whole lives so they speak with a you know an added weight compared to people who are you know current world leaders who are 60s 70s sometimes you know they don't see it with the same urgency so actually having, having those young people speaking eloquently being well informed is really important. A couple of us went down to cover most of the school strikes cover it on social media and just trying to sort of amplify their voices a little bit and you know I was always impressed by the young people involved 
with that and, and how eloquent they were and, and how sort of passionate they were about it. So it was, it was, that was really good to see. In the first couple of years of Green Schools Project, I struggled to ever kind of get to talk to head teachers about this. It was always, I would be talking to a teacher in the school who was passionate about this, who was leading it and, you know, we were helping out a bit since the school strike movement. Yeah, it, it is on head teachers' radar now, you know, and, and I think from, from speaking to head teachers and senior leaders in, in schools, they are aware now that their schools probably should be doing more. It's just a case of fitting that in and finding time it takes time to, to start to do things differently, but, but certainly the school strike movement and, and Greta has had an impact on that. Mm, mm. It's one of the very few issues where youth is an advantage and an amplifier, isn't it? Normally for young people, it can be quite difficult to be heard, but actually the sense of how it will affect their lives is, is a real boost to their opinions on that issue. Definitely, and I, and I think that's, you know, that's a really good and useful thing Certainly in this country, our politicians were a bit kind of taken aback by that, which yeah. is reflected in their initial reactions to them as they should, you know, go back to school and you shouldn't be out here dealing with this. This is grown up issues. But actually, no, they probably know more about it than the, the, than the current leaders. And so and I think that, that definitely had an impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ownership of the issue, really important. You touched on the kind of the increasing appetite among school leadership for this, which is really, really positive to hear. What advice would you give to a member of SLT who's thinking, you know, we're not doing anything in this area. I really want to, but I'm up to my eyeballs in all sorts of other work and I don't know where to start. Involving the students in it is really important. It's kind of critical, really. You know, you, you'll always find some students who, who are interested and care about this. I mean, when we go into schools, we'll, we'll deliver an assembly and talk about this and help the school to, to recruit an eco team. I think it's really important to have a member of staff who is in charge of this, preferably two, sort of one teacher and one member of SLT whose kind of responsibility it is. Because for things to happen, it needs, it needs a member of staff to kind of be on board with leading it as well. Coordinate the activities. Exactly. The students can then decide what, what they want to focus on, whether whether that's kind of energy or travel or vegetables or encouraging wildlife. But I think that the next step is then, you know, a, a review of the curriculum and just kind of seeing where where these ideas can be brought in. There's lots of areas that it can be. Why I decided with Green Schools Project not to kind of develop plans and put them on our website or anything like that, because I think it's more important that teachers are involved with creating that content and you know when I was a teacher myself it was to teach somebody else's lessons than it was to create my own you know then I yeah, felt more ownership over it so actually bringing teachers together talking about the issues you know the climate crisis you'll have the whole range within 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 schools of some people being kind of really knowledgeable and knowing lots about it to some kind of being not yeah, not wanting to know much about it and being a bit reluctant. But actually, once you explore the issues, there's whenever we, well, whenever we've been into schools, there's been a general consensus that hey, yeah, actually there is opportunities here and there's various ways that we bring these into the curriculum and then saying right, okay, well, you know, start off with just a few little lesson ideas. It might be just a kind of a, an idea for a starter which kind of relates to the natural world or or, or, or something like that. But then you can kind of just little bit by little bit kind of look at projects that can be done cross-curricular. That's something that I see more of, kind of cross-curricular projects, which are taking a theme, which is of something around sustainability or climate and getting different subjects involved with, with it. 
food is a, is a good example. You know, what does it take to power our mobile phone? You know, then there's all kinds of different angles that you can take and come at that from a, an educational perspective and, and just make lessons more interesting. There's so much you get out of departments working together like that as well. Yeah. Once you've had a few goes at it and you kind of know, know how to make it work, it's, it's hugely helpful. And I think staff can learn a lot from each other as well during that process, just in terms of improving their teaching and, and their practice generally. And great for the young people, as you say, to, to feel that sort of connection between the different subjects that they're learning. I totally agree as well. I think the, the more personalised to a school, the, the better. When things really stick, it's when you've got something that fits your unique environment isn't it and and your context and actually if you've got a one-size-fits-all kind of model quite often people struggle to kind of maintain it I think you end up adapting it anyway don't you to make it fit into to the kind of workplace you're you're actually in going back to that question again just thinking where could they start you know there's a few quick wins as well you know like if if schools want to kind of take this seriously you know there's there's money to be saved by looking at energy so many schools are so wasteful of their energy just a kind of an audit of how the school functions as well. I, I mean, I, I see it in two areas, really. There's the curriculum and, and lessons, but there's also all the things that goes around it about how the school operates. Mm. What we really want to encourage schools is to start thinking about, you know, how are they going to go to zero carbon? Because we're all going to have to eventually. I mean, I think the government target of 2050 is way too late and way too unambitious. You know, we're all going to have to go there eventually. So what are we going to have to do in order to get there? and just kind of do a little audit on that and, and then start taking those small steps which are going to, going to make the biggest difference. The kind of potential benefits of that as well are a lot of young people who then take that learning back home with them and share it with their parents, their grandparents, other people that they know and, and encourage other people to take the same kind of steps and you see the impact going further than just one school. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I mean, that was the thing that I was getting really excited about before the school closures because of coronavirus was that we would pilot a zero carbon schools programme from September. I mean, initially, we just looked for sort of three or four schools to run it in to start off with. But yeah, actually starting to get schools to think about that journey to go towards going zero carbon. It would be impossible to achieve within our current infrastructure. But actually having it as a project to think about practically reducing carbon emissions really focusing because it's a school as an educational project involving the children and depending on primary or secondary you know they could do different things about kind of measuring the school's carbon emissions figuring out what the most effective ways to reduce them are you know there's so much within that and then being involved with some of the steps to to reduce Mm. that's something that we would still like to do it's kind of that work is on pause at the moment but we're we're definitely yeah what we'd like to pick that up with schools um, and, and, you know, I'm starting to hear things from other schools and academy chains that are all about moving in that direction as well. So yeah, mm. I, I was feeling excited about that. But it's, yes, just a shame it's all a bit on pause at the moment. As is everything, yes. We've all had plans thwarted one way or another at the moment, haven't we, I think. But um, as you say, I think multi-academy trusts in particular are a really good opportunity to get that kind of movement happening because we're seeing such large groups of schools now that are coordinated. There's a real opportunity to have a good number of schools getting involved in something all together at the same time and and having a real impact on a community, which is fantastic target, I think. So fingers crossed for getting back on on track. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And actually, I mean, that that was the other thing that I was thinking about that is not only a learning opportunity for young people, but actually 
turning schools into a bit of a you know a community learning hub around this and putting on events for parents we actually did one event in a primary school in Hackney which was a toys a clothes and a books swap the kids couldn't quite believe that they were being able to take things for free and you know, it, was, it was just a, a nice kind of buzz around it and then actually this is about you know not chucking stuff away and in, into the bin and actually being able to reuse it and, and the environmental benefits for that mm, mm, it's got so much potential definitely We've touched on the, the big issue of the moment that is affecting everybody. The pandemic has come in and, and disrupted all of our plans this year. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that it hasn't affected your momentum there. And hopefully that will pick up again soon. Looking kind of at the issue of the environment during the time of coronavirus, we've seen some interesting kind of positive news stories coming out talking about how actually lockdown and uh, lockdown of people spending more time in their houses having a positive impact on the environment seeing people kind of changing their practices a bit maybe being less wasteful because actually things are scarce for once and it's not so easy just to pop out and buy a whole load of new things what what would you like to see coming out of this time as a positive outcome of kind of such a difficult experience for people i mean i, I hope that it's it has provided the opportunity for a bit of a pause for reflection on what life was like beforehand you know there is the potential for for big changes about what comes afterwards i think obviously the argument that we we can't bring about these changes you know has been blown out of the water by the huge changes that happened because of this so there is potential for change but you know we've we've got to make sure that that is positive change because if, if we go back to what was supposedly normal life beforehand that was exactly the problem that had led us into this situation and was leading us directly into you know catastrophic climate change i think one good thing that you can see already is in cities i think it was announced in london last week about lots of roads going car free um you know and, and cities mm. the world are starting to do that so you know that that was the kind of thing that would have been unthinkable before the crisis but now it needs to be massively expanded you know life needs to be sort of centred around, around people and the, the things that we truly find important rather than just the economy and money. So yeah, I, I hope that that will come out of it. Um, I think there are kind of parallels in opportunities of reflection that coronavirus has given us. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like I've totally reconnected with the outdoors, even as a Londoner who lives in a tiny flat, you know, suddenly when you can only go out for an hour or so a day, you really, really treasure it. And I think I know, I certainly know a lot of uh, parents who have been really making the most of those times outside, particularly with younger children. And I, I mean, I would hope that those kind of reconnections with the outdoors and and as you say maybe building in more outdoor learning and kind of just valuing the environment more than perhaps we were doing previously will be an outcome but it's something that we're going to need to keep pushing and and reminding everyone of isn't it because the return to normal normal is a risk isn't it yeah you forget about what you've learned yeah absolutely there's a new path that is possible but yeah i mean who knows what what will happen you know i think making predictions is 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 impossible but yeah I, i think while I'm thoroughly fed up with the current situation, I think that the huge changes that have come about have to offer hope because we need huge changes in order to tackle the, the you know, the big crisis that we've got in, in climate. So, Yes, hopefully the way we've responded to this experience kind of all over the globe has taught young people something about how to deal with issues that affect the whole population and how to act in the interests of a whole group 
and that sort of coordination I think is is a really positive outcome and something that hopefully will give young people the sense that these big changes can happen yeah and can happen quickly as well which is the other important yeah, yeah. I also think it's important to, to point out that I mean we've talked a lot about the school strikes you know that that is a group of children who and students who know lots about it there, there is a, still a big proportion of young people who don't know much about it because they haven't really been exposed to it you know, I think it is important that in schools we educate all, all young about these issues because it's something that's going to affect them for, for their entire lives. It feels like something that could be more on the agenda at education conferences and things like that actually just among the teaching population I, I haven't seen much discussion around it and I think actually that might be a really positive thing if uh, if the teaching community could take it as more of a, a kind of challenge that they need to pull together towards. Absolutely yeah I mean that is what I see as the big challenge coming up is that there are so many kind of logistical and practical challenges around what happens when schools reopen. Mm, and so much pressure already. Yeah, I, but I think, I think the tendency will be in terms of curriculum and what we're teaching to kind of stick mm -hmm. to what they know, and that's totally understandable. And I, I don't think there'll be huge appetite for changes uh, on that. But I hope that once we have kind of re-established a sense of, you know, all, well, all, all children back in school and, you know, operating on a, on a, on a kind of a, a more normal basis on, on that front, that there is then the appetite to kind of introduce new things and new ways of doing things. Yeah, I'm always amazed at the capacity of, of teachers to take on important issues, even when they're snowed under with workload and all the rest of it. And so um, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of teachers out there who are passionate about the idea. It would be great to also see perhaps a little more guidance from the government on putting this forward on the agenda as well. And I'd be interested to know kind of if you had that sort of one-off meeting with Gavin Williamson, what you'd ask him for or what changes you'd like to see him make. Yeah, well, I mean, so there's a really great campaign at the moment called uh, Teach the Future, which is led by young people and they are calling for a complete repurposing of education around the climate crisis. I'd probably bring them along with me. As young people, they generally make the case better than we do as adults. You know, that, that's really important. And I, I think they have kind of, you know, set things that they are asking for, you know, including a, a review of the education system as, as it is currently and, and the provision for it, but also teacher training and for it to be included in, in teacher standards. And so, you know, those kind of things, I think, yeah, is, is, is really what, what's needed. But I think people working within the education system, we don't have to wait for the government to, to tell us that it's okay. You know, there, there is flexibility within what is happening currently for schools, academy trusts, local authorities to be pushing this and, and for it to happen before the government does this kind of top-down thing. Because, you know, if we just wait for them to direct this, we might be waiting too long. So I would encourage kind of schools and school leaders to embrace this agenda because it's really important but also it's you know young, young people deserve it yeah and and great to have organizations like you being able to support schools with that process because as we've said there is such a a lot of pressure on people's time and and high workload so it, it's great to have that guidance and and i guess would also be brilliant to see them sharing with each other as well you know to be able to to make the most of, of strategies that they've found have worked and and help kind of introduce some of those things quickly and easily in, in a way that's manageable but still really enjoyable and valuable for everyone involved yeah yeah i mean i think that happens you know on a small basis but it's just a bit too sporadic at, at the moment you know there are kind of clusters of schools who are 
working on on these issues. But but yeah, I'm much kind of broadening out of that, and as you say, kind of sharing of ideas because like every school's got to go on this journey at, at some point. Absolutely, wonderful. Well, that was really helpful and so interesting. Great. Excellent. Well, thanks very much. Cheers. You too. We love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. 1. Subscribe. Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you're listening. 2. Share. Share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. 3. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.